The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew here on the show today. And uh, this is our, our first time digging into the main slate. We're also going to go through the pod schedule uh, for everything that we're going to have. But of course, before we get into it, I need to remind everyone that we are sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. Of course, you all have your entries lumped into the puppy. You all have your, your best ball manias. Now, I need to remind you, the FBI will come and find you if you start talking about best ball exposures once the season has locked because underdog has a brand new pick'em game. Uh, we'll definitely be doing some sponsored content with them on that. Uh, but if you guys want to sign up for underdog fantasy, if you have not yet, there is a link to download it in the description of this show. You can find it in the iOS store, the Google play store, wherever uh, you get your apps. And if you use the promo code grid, you will get a free entry into a pick'em contest. You'll be able to make some of your own parlays uh, there. So Colin, we're here. We got it. Uh, for people who don't know, people who didn't haven't seen the tweet, this is basically going to be the schedule for the year. On Sunday nights, Monday mornings, you'll have the Gilcast. That'll be our, you know, our NFL DFS recap. Tuesday mornings will be the waiver wire show where basically I'm going to open up my main event teams. I'm going to open up all my high stakes teams and we're going to go through the key waiver wire decisions uh then on wednesdays we are going to do our dfs show the show that you're listening to right now generally thursdays are going to be the show that we do in coordination with underdog either josh norris or hayden winks will be joining me and then friday is going to be kind of a hybrid betting dfs season-long show update i'll be doing that a lot with rich rebar pat corain will probably hop on that show so we will we will have you guys all covered with everything you need yeah, you got to let Pat back on his podcast at least once in a while after all the hosting he did in the offseason. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was be, busy. It's good, man. It feels like the first day of school. You know, everyone is still naive, ambitious. We're excited about the season. We think we know everything and we think that, you know, we're going to bang six figures over the next four weeks. So it's it's a good it's a good time. Nobody's like worn down yet either. So everyone's got good energy. Pretty fun time to be in the industry. Yeah, I mean, this uh, this first week is always very chaotic as you get your schedule figured out. You go, you know, we've had our, I've had my schedule for the last four months. I'm like, okay, you know, I know I got to do this. I got to get my drafts in, you know, and now it's like, okay, no more drafting. And you got to make sure your contests are registered. You got to make sure the content's pushed. Like it's a, it's a very exciting time. It does feel very much like back to school. Oh, totally. The house across the street for me is being demoed too. And the crew just like showed up yesterday, which is not ideal timing, but uh, it seems like it's quiet day to day. So could have some chaos for me around the house over the next few weeks, but hopefully some good recording conditions. And I don't know, it'll be fun to go through this as we go through game by game, kind of talk about, you know, places where we feel really good about the projections, the inputs and the, the picks, so to speak, and then places where there's a little bit more risk associated with them. Yeah. And uh, this of course will not be our final 
DFS show. So normally the, uh, you're hearing this right now on a Thursday. Normally this will be out on Wednesday. We will, of course, uh, behind the paywall at dailyroto.com have the premium show where myself, Colin, uh, Andrew Barron, Pacheco, there'll be a rotating cast of characters there going through the projections from a more nitty gritty angle and also, you know, some more specific GPP strategy stuff there uh, as well. So let's go ahead and uh, let's start. We're, we're just going to go through the, the projections and the games in the Daily Roto Optimizer, which, by the way, if you want 10% off, NFL21 is the promo code to do that on DailyRoto.com. So Philadelphia at Atlanta. The first game, I mean, this is already the first spot where I'm like, well, you know, the total for this game might actually be low because this, when I was just going through the games the first time, this was the game that leapt out to me the most as the interesting DFS game. Yeah, it wasn't the one for me, but I thought it was potentially like going to be like the, the secondary one or the one that maybe escapes content a little bit. So I was interested to go through this one. I mean, like you said, we're usually looking to target totals 47 plus 50 plus obviously is ideal. Those totals just shoot out. And most, most often times they're producing three, four flex scores of 20 plus points. And this does kind of fit the bill for that. So I, I think in tournaments, you're definitely interested in game stacking this. I think there's open questions like Kyle Pitts. Is he going to be a 15% target share guy right out of the gate? Is he going to be 20, 25? Um, Obviously, Calvin Ridley, I think, is going to get a decent amount of run, but particularly at the tight end spot where we're looking to save money, a lot of times Kyle Pitts jumped out as one of the guys that you'd be looking to target this week and potentially game stacking this game as one of the games that I think will hopefully, I think Ridley will be popular, but I think the game stack overall, the game environment might not be. Yeah, I mean, I would anticipate Kyle Pitts to be very chalky, actually, mm -hmm. because it looks like he is the tight end that lots of people are putting in their cash game builds very early on. Now, that might not hold true come Sunday. I mean, literally, who knows what's going to happen on Sunday. But as of right now, Kyle Pitts is receiving a pretty good value projection from most content providers. We have Kyle Pitts for a 19.7% scaled target share. Uh, I could see that being wrong 5% either way. I could see him having four targets in this game. I could see him having 10 targets in this game. I could see them really trying to lean on him in the red zone, like having like a very specific Kyle Pitts red zone package, or I could see them not doing that. Like I, Kyle, Kyle Pitts uh, could be anything, even a boat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one of the enigmas, I think, you know, especially when you look to save money, the tight end position, I, I do think unlike other guys who are priced similarly, he does have pretty high upside. So uh, one of the guys with, as the week goes on, will want to keep tabs on his projected ownership, how that flows through. But I do think if you do game stack it, I don't think that the Eagles players are going to be popular at all. There's just no. a lot of question marks about the offense. Jalen Hurts, obviously at QB, new coaching staff. They kind of hinted at using a rotation of wide receivers. You know, they did cut Fulgham, but you still have Devonta Smith, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, and you got Goddard Ertz. So we've got the dis targets distributed around these guys, um, not evenly necessarily, but definitely scaled. And we don't really pretty, have pretty even. Yeah. Like we don't have an alpha projected right now in the offense, but it wouldn't be shocking. I don't think to any of us, if somebody did emerge as the number one target, if Devonta Smith got 25% of targets like that, would that wouldn't shock me. Um, and so I think there's maybe some upside beyond just like the ceiling projections on these guys where the, projection inputs themselves have a little bit more volatility um, unlike the Falcons where we feel pretty good about Calvin Ridley's target share. Yeah. I mean, so, so to give people an idea of just how insane this target distribution is, we have 
uh, four guys between 15 and 18%. And we could certainly be shortchanging Quez Watkins. We have Quez Watkins for about a 10% target share. We could be shortchanging him. We could be shortchanging Miles Sanders. We could be shortchanging Boston Scott. Uh, because they've used Boston Scott in kind of that ancillary pass catching role before. And to be honest, I mean, for a lot of the offseason, we were anticipating Zach Ertz not being on this team, but Zach Ertz has never been on the field for the Eagles and not earned, you know, a, a very healthy market share of targets, even when it looked like he really couldn't move. Now, he was very inefficient last season. He got 72 targets in 11 games last season and only caught 36 passes. But they do tend to throw him a ball, throw him the ball quite a bit when he's out there. So something I'm looking at is Hertz with Calvin Ridley as the bringback, and then one of Smith, Rager, or Ertz as the stack. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I, yeah. I mean, I and I think that game is pretty self-explanatory. It's in a dome. It could play. Could be very pace up. We don't feel great about like that, that. That's actually a spot where we don't feel good about any of the wide receivers. So I, I wonder if that filters into lowering Hertz's ownership. I wonder if Hertz so. is something like, you know, five or 8%, even as a big rushing quarterback, because we don't feel good um, about his stacks. I think that is, is pretty likely uh, Seattle at Indianapolis, another game taking place uh, on the turf. And I guess Seattle is another fairly big question mark because we don't feel that good about where their run to pass ratio is going to be. You know, they keep talking about how they want to run the ball, but clearly their most successful pattern as a team would be to throw the ball more. Yeah. And yeah, it was like Pete Carroll at the end of last season talking about how they want to establish the run so much more. And uh, there were some tidbits, I guess, as you get closer about them wanting to get Russ involved. So I don't know, misdirection there. I'm not particularly excited about game stacking this. I think the, the Colts will probably try to run the ball pretty heavily as well if they can. The total is fairly high, but um, I think my preference in this game would be pick one-off pieces. I do think it's going to be a game bypassed by many. So I think compared to other top tier wide receivers, DK Metcalf at 7,500, he has like the 30 plus point potential, especially in the PPR format. I don't think he's be popular. Um, I would probably go that route, DK Metcalf, opposed to trying to game stack it with Seattle. Yeah, I actually am kind of looking at Jonathan Taylor as a guy who's just going to be forgotten about given how insane some of these running back projections are. And again, you know, it's uh, almost every team on the slate. McCaffrey, Kamara, Cook, Henry, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Joe Mixon, like, you know, lots of guys who were, you know, going in the first round of seasonal drafts. But I would be shocked to see Jonathan Taylor top 5% in a lot of these contests. I, I, I think he looks fairly uh, I think he looks like an elite leverage play basically yeah yeah I think that's fair I like I prefer Metcalf at kind of the same ownership cheaper price a little more upside for the wide receivers but uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how the offense looks without Philip Rivers Carson Wentz should get the start there and I think the target distributions on the Colts are something that is pretty interesting to monitor um, as well whether Michael Pittman I think we have projected as wide receiver one on the offense um, but one of the things we're seeing early on this week is a lot of ownership is going to punt wide receivers specifically to Marvin Jones and Marquez Callaway. And so um, trying to find high upside pivots within kind of that same roster construction, I think is one of the things that we'll need to keep a close eye on this week. Yeah. And Indianapolis has Pittman, they have Paris Campbell, who is going to be, you know, I mean, like we have Paris Campbell for 10.2 DraftKings points. That's basically like 0.9 points off of Marquez Callaway yet, you know, Marquez Callaway is going to be 
15 times is owned or something like that in single entry three max contests like paris campbell might be one percent owned or I mean, whatever and like generally seattle allowed the most plays against last year uh you know people threw out the ball on them more than 60 percent of the time as well so it's a weird offense uh but a lot of targets out ty Hilton out new quarterback in there so there is some opportunity in indianapolis yeah, there, there is a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and we just like, you know, one of the things we know is we like to target these games inside domes early on. Uh, like that, that is a factor for scoring. All right, Jacksonville at Houston. I'm just going to decree this right now. I'm not doing bringbacks with teams against Houston this year, right? Chiefs with a 31-point team total or whatever against the Texans. I'm not, not throwing in Nico Collins. I'm not throwing in Brandon Cooks. Um, maybe, maybe my mind will change about that after a couple weeks. But I love LaVisca. Uh, I love DJ Shark, you know, because of the obvious leverage that they provide off of Marvin Jones, who we expect to be probably the chalkiest wide receiver, I would imagine, uh, or, or the most owned cheap wide receiver. Even it's, though- it's pretty, like, feels like a coin toss between Marvin Jones and Marquez Callaway right now. Um, yeah. And a lot of that, I guess, will just depend on what other content providers put out there. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, it's the Texans. Like they're probably, they're going to be the worst team in the NFL. They're going to give up a bunch of points. Uh, I guess the, the fly in the ointment is that urban Meyer is probably going to want to establish it. And there's a, a very uh, it's a palatable price tag on James Robinson. Uh, we don't have him as like a, a value, but again, we are giving Carlos Hyde a fair amount of work. We are giving Dare, you know, some of these third down steps. And that could just be stone cold wrong. I don't think it's wrong, right? I have it projected the way I think it's going to play. But we also kind of thought this was going to happen to James Robinson last year where Dare would play third downs. You know, they'd work in Ozigbo and they didn't, right? They just gave James Robinson all these touches. And very similar to Jonathan Taylor, uh, James Robinson is a guy seasonal drafters liked, uh, but is not receiving any ownership love in week one against the easiest opponent in the NFL. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty astute point. It does seem like uh, at a minimum they want to use Carlos Hyde quite a bit, but that doesn't mean there won't be enough for them to go around. And that would be one of the leverage points off of the the Bills with Marvin Jones as well as just if the Jags under Urban Meyer do play more run heavy than they played last year, it's a positive game strip expected against here. And then uh, there's also just potential this game in general fails. If the Jags try to run a lot, the Texans we expect to play really slow with Tyrat at quarterback. They've got like a three something backfield in the rotation there. So I I could see this game failing entirely and particularly because the Jags should be reasonably popular at wide receiver. Um, It's definitely a game where I think you can look to potentially pivot off of. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably don't think I will use much Trevor Lawrence. Um, You know, I think there are, which I mean, could be wrong, right? Like Trevor Lawrence could be 4% owned run for 40 yards and a touchdown and throw for 310 yards and two touchdowns. Like, and he could do a majority of that scoring in the first half and then turn it over to Robinson and Hyde in the second half. Cause the, the Texans could be that bad. I, I mean, that, that is, that is certainly in the range of outcomes, but a very similar situation actually with the San Francisco 49ers at the Detroit lions. Um, you know, we have positive value projections on Kittle, a, a very positive projection on Jimmy Garoppolo, Debo Samuel, Raheem Mostert is uh, very close. He actually is a dead zero in terms of value in the optimizer right now, which you don't see very often. He is, is according to our projections, perfectly priced. 
we have Ayuk downgraded in our projections a little bit right now because of this um, lower body injury that he's been dealing with, but that could be wrong, right? He could be, you know, 100% good to go. And I guess a different thing about this 49ers team versus the years past is it's hard to see the guys, the ancillary guys taking touches away, right? There's not a Richie James Jr. There's not a Kendrick Bourne. There's not really a second tight end they want to use. Like their offense could actually end up being fairly condensed. Yeah, I definitely think that'll be the case. I mean, I think it's like Mohamed Sanu, right? It's like wide receiver three or wide receiver four on the team. And I do think you'll see it pretty condensed in those three guys. And there's a few offenses around the league that are like that. Dallas stands out as one of them. Tampa stands out as one of them. Cincy stands out as one of them. And it, it's going to be a week-to-week thing as far as the guys that pop off, the guys that get eight to ten targets versus, you know, four to six. And so trying to capitalize on that in a matchup. If the Texans aren't the worst team in the league, it's probably because the Lions are. And so I think playing Jimmy G at the discount against this Detroit team on the road, uh, I, I think this is a good opportunity for us earlier in the season. Mostert, I think, has upside beyond the projections he's here. Got a, he's got a lot of upside, I agree. Like, we've got Trey Sermon playing right out of the gate, 30% of carries. It, I think over the course of the season, maybe they split carries, but to start the season, it wouldn't shock me at all if Mostert got 70% of the touches. And so um, I like him in tournaments, uh, definitely a guy to avoid in cash games. And I like double stacking Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I don't think you have to bring it back with Detroit, but like the Detroit offense is a total question mark as far as the target distribution. Uh, okay. So uh, random thing. If Jimmy, if Trey Lance is active, right versus inactive and remember he's dealing with that thumb injury like are you worried about the the trey lance like goal line package at all like is that something that you are that you are considering in your analysis like that he comes in and takes away some of these touchdowns so the practice reports i think even if he's active depends on the practice reports um because he could be like an emergency active but if he's practicing on friday then i think you're at least like a little bit concerned about it but if there's any question at all, I don't think they're going to rush him out there in the first week, especially in a matchup where uh, they likely will have things pretty well under control. Yeah. Uh, on the Lions side of the ball, I mean, if DeAndre Swift was priced down, like if DeAndre Swift was 5,700 here, I would see throwing some darts on him. But I at 6,900, I just can't get there. I guess Hawkinson would be the guy at 4,900 at tight end. I mean, you, he could have 11 targets and a blowout loss, no problem. Yeah, definitely. Like he he could be the the Darren Waller target profile yeah. from last season, the tight end who gets 28, 30% of the team's targets because there's there's hardly a wide receiver three on this team, much less a wide receiver one. Um, if, if you ran 49ers stacks, would you bring it back? with Like, would you throw darts in week one where there's so much unknown on Tyrell Williams or Monroe St. Brown, or are you just going to just try to figure it out some other way? I am not, I am more interested in this game for one-offs. I don't think in, in tournaments I'm interested, like Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, Mostert, all good one-offs. I don't think I'm looking at this as a stacking spot. I think this next game, uh, Minnesota at Cincinnati actually sets up as a fairly decent stacking game. You know, we think Cincinnati is going to be one of the past heaviest teams in the NFL the production on the Vikings is basically going to be three players, right? It's going to be Dalvin. It's going to be Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. We have a huge projection on Justin Jefferson. Certainly you could talk yourself into $2,900 Tyler Conklin. Um, I like, he's going to be out there. It's uh, not, not sure how much Herndon is going to play in week one. And then on the Cincy side of the ball, it's setting up to be fairly interesting because Joe Mixon is priced way down. 
T Higgins should be fairly popular. Uh, Jamar Chase looks like basically an elite, elite, elite GPP play to me. Like uh, Jamar Chase looks like an amazing play to me. Yeah. I think it's a pretty enticing game stack just all around. I mean, I ran this analysis in the off season. That was a stack score, which combined the upside of the passing attack along with the correlation of it. And Minnesota was right up near the top um, just because of how concentrated their offense is and Dalvin involved in the passing game means you can mix him into those lineups where you're double stacking Jefferson, Dalvin cook and um, Thielen, who was, you know, very touchdown dependent last year, but still had multiple multi-touchdown games. And I do think Conklin's probably not a guy I'm looking to target as a one-off, but if you are going to stack this game, I could definitely see a triple stack for the Vikings where you just punt the tight end position and hope that he's involved to a limited degree. We did see last year, since he is willing to go very pass heavy with Joe Burrow, they're willing to run a lot of plays. So I do think if they get behind, despite the fact that their offensive line questions that they're going to be throwing the ball a ton. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Uh, I'm hundred percent on board with that. I think this like uh burrow T chase, Justin Jefferson, Tyler Conklin bring back like that looks like the bones of a pretty good team to me. Yeah, um, it looks pretty nice. Yeah. I, and I, I imagine that will be relatively popular, but like uh, the other thing is both of these teams defenses are, are fairly bad, which is pretty nice when you're thinking about, about stacking and, yeah and joe mixon i think is another compelling play i think in general this game is a lot of options because um mixon with geo gone is expected to play a bit more of a passing role he was already getting like alpha share of rushing and so um i think that mixon again has potential 6200 if you aren't looking to pay up he's one of the rb values that stands out kind of in that mid-tier yeah i am uh, i am on board with that all right our next game I just, I can't really summon much of a take for this game. It's the Los Angeles Chargers at the Washington football team. These are two teams that are expected to have pretty good defenses. Uh, We do not anticipate the football team playing all that fast. You know, Keenan Allen going to have his 25, 26% target share. Austin Eckler going to get the ball a ton. Mike Williams, if he scores a 70-yard touchdown, you know, he he, he will be a very good play. If he doesn't, uh, you're probably going to find him fairly fairly lacking there and then on the Washington side I guess the one thing I could say is that if Antonio Gibson does have this CMC role right where he's getting 65% of the carries and 20% of the targets this will be the cheapest he is and this will be the best buy low opportunity that that you have on him probably yeah it doesn't look like an over popular option to start the year either kind of in that same price range as Mixon I think this is one of the tags we could look back on in four weeks and say that we're really surprised the field wasn't jamming Antonio Gibson at 5,900. Um, and so I like him. He's probably the only, as a one-off, I like him. Um, I like him in tournaments. Um, and he's probably the only guy I'm excited about playing this game. Yeah. Uh, I just, I can't, I can't really. The, I mean, the football team's defense is good and we do expect good. Him to play slow, yeah. maybe different under Fitzpatrick, but same, same coaching staff and everything. Yeah. Um, all right. Our, our next game we have up is the, uh, the Sam Darnold revenge game, the New York jets at the Carolina Panthers. And interestingly enough, you know, I think that we are going to see some ownership on the jets wide receivers because, uh, if Crowder specifically does not play and it sounds like he is, you know, Elijah Moore dead three K minimum, Corey Davis is pretty cheap. Tyler Croft who really came on during the preseason, He's 2,500. Like, I actually think we will see some ownership coming for these guys with a 19 and a half point team total, which is insane. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm fine taking a pass if that's going to be the case. Um, I, like Corey Davis's price is similar to what he was priced at last year on a better offense and like as the clear wide receiver too. Now there's questions on the offense. And so that price tag is just, it's kind of the premium price tag um, for me. And yeah, I mean, if Crowder's active, I think there's enough risk with Elijah Moore um, and Keelan Cole who seems like he's been like a starting wide receiver in the three wide sets for most of the preseason. So I'm not really interested in the jets in the spot, regardless of what the field is doing. I think you're obviously much like Minnesota. We do expect the offense to be heavily concentrated in Carolina to start the season between Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. And so I think it's probably a buying opportunity there against the jets and uh, the, the market's going to wait and see on Sam Darnold, but I don't think that there's going to be a huge difference in play between Darnold Bridgewater and all of these guys had high degrees of utility last year. Yeah. What are your thoughts on McCaffrey in tournaments? You know, obviously highest projected on player, highest projected scoring player, good matchup. Um, now, I guess the thing you would say is that there are lots of guys who can beat McCaffrey this week. Kamara with no Latavius, Dalvin Cook in a very good matchup, uh, Derrick Henry, right? Like, I mean, there are lots of guys who can score more points, but oh, no one does it like McCaffrey does it. You know, it's just like no one, no one, no one scores fantasy points like him. Yeah. It's, I mean, it seems fine. It's like the price tag on week one of all the slates seems like it's more affordable than others because there is some value out there and there and undoubtedly will be more value that opens up throughout the course of the week. So kind of like a neutral take, but I'm not looking to actively fade McCaffrey. I'm also not looking to build my entire strategy around it because there are balanced options that I think are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the other interesting guy for the Panthers is Terrace Marshall Jr. Who looked amazing in the preseason. They, they just straight up cut David Moore. So there's not even really a veteran to take snaps away from him. You know, if Terrace Marshall Jr. is not playing, I guess that would mean that Dan Arnold is playing a ton or that Shy Smith would be taking points away from him. And so, I, like, I, I think Terrace Marshall will probably be one of my stances versus the field in week one. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. We've got him at 15% of the team's targets. Curtis Samuel in a not the same role because Samuel's more involved uh, with carries, but was typically 18 or 20% of targets guy. So I do think there's upside kind of there for Marshall. I usually take a wait and see approach, but I think in, in week one, if you're into the guy, it's a good time to pull the trigger, especially because it doesn't seem like he's going to be a guy that feels on. Yeah. All right. Well, the, uh, the next game is the big chalky game. And that is the Arizona Cardinals, the fastest offense in the NFL against the Tennessee Titans, just this awful defense, the Titans, um, don't run a lot of plays as their base, but they got into some pace up games when they ended up trailing last season. And also, you know, we don't know what they're going to look like with Julio Jones. They could certainly transition to be a much more pass heavy team. You know, when you Julio Jones is your second wide receiver versus Corey Davis. So for this game, we have Hopkins, Edmonds, Rondale. Um, you know, I mean, maybe you could throw out AJ Green or, or Christian Kirk on there. I, I would not. I am much yeah. more into Rondale at 3K flat, then AJ Green at 38 or Christian Kirk at 45. Then on the Tennessee side, you have Tannehill, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, uh, Derrick Henry. And then I guess Ferkser, you know, it Ferkser got a lot cheaper in best ball drafts as the season went on, I, as reports were that he was not playing as much, but I still think he's locked in to being their receiving tight end. Yeah, it seems like Swain's going to be this the blocking tight end, but I think Ferkser is a guy that only roster as part of a game stack environment probably only roster on Tannehill builds Tannehill had seven ceiling games last year. Uh, 
and those were highly correlated. So that was one nice thing last year. It was AJ Brown, Corey Davis, Ferkser. Uh, the one thing I want to throw in the, I, I did this analysis before heading into last season, then I ignored it, but the big dog eats in a lot of Tannehill's highest ceiling games. Yeah. And so I actually think you can onslaught the tight ends in this type of environment and bring it back with DeAndre Hopkins. And you get kind of the price discount at tight end with Ferkser um, and just pay up at some of these other spots because like Henry ceiling games, icing out a lot of those shootout games. I, obviously he's the goal line back. Um, so I actually think like the, the onslaught is something I'd be looking at, especially if it sends up popular. I don't think that the uh, field will play any Derrick Henry with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, no, I, I think you are. I think you're basically hundred percent right on that. That's, that's not a correlation that people are looking to. I wonder if Derrick Henry correlates well with Kyler like you use, you use Derrick Henry as the, like, you know, the, the Titans get up 14 zero and Kyler has to start, uh, you know, piddle paddling around with his short little Stewie Griffin legs. I, I wanted to share this stat. Hayden Winks tweeted this yesterday and I remembered him having a great season. I did not remember him having this good of a season, but through 10 games last year before Kyler Murray had hurt his shoulder, he had the most fantasy points of any quarterback ever through that many games, like not like more than Vic, more than Mahomes, more than Peyton Manning in 2013. Like, and they, they gave some lip service to him not running, but I think that's very much one of those things where when the bullets start flying, it's very different and you want to win games and Kyler can do that through, through his legs. So one of the things I'm trying to mentally like make a sticky note of is that I want to be playing Kyler Murray uh, more often than my opponents are playing him. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. Definitely one of the highest ceiling plays. You obviously have the correlation with Hopkins, which is locked in. Then this year, you potentially get a little bit more secondary correlation. I also think there's potential value in the backfield with Chase Edmonds, maybe James Conner, but there's unknown about the roles that both of those backs are going to play coming into this game. We know that Edmonds is the better pass catcher of the two. Conner's sort of the bigger back between the tackles guy, but we don't know what the goal line role will necessarily look like. And um, so I think Chase Edmonds, 4,600, Connor, 4,500 in a game that should be one of the highest totals. Both those guys are going to be pretty um, low owned. And if they're your RB2 with the CMC build, I think you can do a lot worse. Yeah. All right. Next game. Uh, I think this, this game is a, more stackable than the market might think. Now the market is definitely going to be on Josh Allen and the market is definitely going to be on Stefan Diggs and the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills game. But the Bills are basically the pass heaviest team in the NFL. And I guess the the interesting thing is that Manny Sanders, Gabe Davis, and Cole Beasley are all under 5,000. They're all single-digit ownership. And I, I feel pretty confident one of those guys is catching eight passes in this game, other than Steph Diggs. You know, whether it's Sanders, whether it's Beasley, whether it's Gabe Davis, I feel like pretty confident about that. And that, like, uh, giving those guys, like, a plus-five boost in an MME run or something, not even in game stacks, but just as one-offs, I feel like seems pretty pretty good. Yeah, and I think definitely looking at this double stack, Josh Allen, the, the Bills pass rate above expectation last year, one of the highest in the NFL. And then you have um, some pretty enticing guys who are, you know, there's risk about each of their roles, but in a large field tournament, million maker style, I think going with the double stack for Josh Allen would make a lot of sense. I think similarly, Pittsburgh, one of the teams on a week-to-week basis, it's going to be hard to pinpoint which one of Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, or Chase Claypool is going to get a lot of action, but as much as Pittsburgh talked about wanting to run the ball a lot more coming into this not going to be able to do like, it here. Yeah. in Buffalo with like when you're down 14. So I think those guys are going to get like eight to 10 targets a piece. Yeah. And you know, we don't have any of them as particularly good values and we even have a Just pretty high that guys for me. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a pretty good 
Uh, like we have a good, we have them 38 to 61 run pass rate. We still have Najee as a slight value, but I mean, I, the, the min one rule with Josh Allen, right? Min one, Juju, Claypool, Deontay is like the easiest 150 rule you'd ever make, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess I would just say pretty good chance. This is the last time we see Claypool at 5,600. If he has, you know, a Claypool game, but I, I say that and I'm like, the Steelers wide receivers are just going to trade blows all year. You know, one week Deontay will get 15 targets. One week Claypool will score three touchdowns. One week Judas Smith-Schuster will have 10 catches for 86 yards, you know, fancy Julian Edelman style. So probably these, this is actually where these guys are going to be priced all year long. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so yeah. too. Do you, have, do you have any interest in, in Najee? I mean, he, he does look like one of the guys who should have a backfield to himself. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's really tough. Um, I think we've got him as a neutral value. He's just a bit more than Mostert in the example. But um, yeah, of those two guys, I think it's more likely that he gets like 80% of the team's work. It's more likely that he gets 18, 20% of the targets. So I think there is, um, you know, a little bit upside to Najee beyond the projections. Yeah, I think it's another reason like the mid tier RB. I think there's potential this week in tournaments. Maybe that's just like maybe it always feels like that. But um, I feel like it's there. Yeah. All right. Next game, the Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs actually have the highest team total of the week, believe it or not. True story. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the way these guys are priced with a 30 point team total. And I'm like, well, you know, people aren't really going to play Mahomes that much because they're playing Josh Allen. Now, people will lump in on Kelsey. There, there's like a zero percent chance of Kelsey not being chalk. But even Tyreek could settle as like the fourth most owned wide receiver instead of the most owned. CEH will be completely abandoned. And then, you know, take your pick of Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, or Byron Pringle as the, as the third guy there. You know, I, I don't know who is going to get those touches. Um, I, I don't know if anyone really does uh, at, uh, at this point. But 30-point team total, they, they, they are also a team that throws the ball a ton. I'm figuring out Chiefs exposure this week feels like it would be a good edge. And you also can feel pretty confident in the bringbacks. You know, it's, it's three guys, it's Landry, it's Beckham and it's Austin Hooper. Now, none of them, like the, the Landry price tag is kind of gross, but they are good bringbacks, especially if they get down early, you know, down 14 zero, you cannot establish Nick Chubb. Yeah. I like the, so Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, I mean, I, I think playing the ownership game between those two guys is always going to be fruitful. And it seems like Tyreek could be the guy who's lost in the mix 10% this week. People want to pay up for CMC. You can't do that when you're paying up at wide receiver spots as well. And they, they're two of the few players in the NFL who have 35 to 40 point potential at the flex position. And so I, I definitely think that Kelsey and Hill as one-offs are appealing. Mahomes, it feels like the price is just, it's pretty prohibitive at 8k it's just hard to imagine paying that much for any quarterback and it almost feels like what he has to do to hit like uh like basically he has to clear the rest of the qb field he's got to account points. for five he's got to account for five touchdowns so I, basically. I almost think if you're going to play mahomes that you would triple stack it and include Nicole hartman in that mix or pringle or d rob yeah which is which actually is what happened in his big games the last two years his the games are the okay so the games where he went nuts were either Tyreek like 50 pointers or one deep one to Hardman one deep one to Robinson you know uh what he threw he threw 
yeah, touchdown like, to an offensive lineman in his one of his five touchdown games. Like there's some of that stuff too. Yeah, he threw like five against the Jets, and I think two or three of them were to the the backups. So um, yeah, I'm not. I I don't see myself getting to Mahomes, but I, I do see myself trying to get over Tyreek. Like I do want to play like one Mahomes team for the brand because it just feels like terrible to have no. Well, you got to put Harvin on that team then too, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously. It's a brand play. Well, I think, I think, I think. Uh, I mean, the, I guess the other thing here is is Pringle might play seventy percent of the snaps. We we don't know. We really don't know if they're going to play Blake Bell. We don't know if they're going to play Noah Gray. We don't know if they're going to play Demarcus Robinson. We didn't get tons of good info on that in the preseason but they might play a ton of three wide receiver with Pringle as the third May- maybe, or, or it could be Robinson who is uh, priced poorly. Um, and it's not really a play next game. Uh, I literally see no plays from Denver at New York. Uh, I guess Br- Bridgewater would be the one we act like Bridgewater actually hit some of our vanilla optimals at 4,800. I mean, I-, I could actually see someone good playing Bridgewater in cash just because, you know, hoping he grinds out 20. You but... play Jimmy G, though. He's only like 300 more. No, he's – Jimmy G is uh, 5,300, I think. Um, I don't know. Like, but I just – there. I guess, you know, if, if I'm going to stand for anyone, actually, it's probably Judy. And just say Judy has like a 31% target share, uh, and he just eats all those short and intermediate targets from Teddy. But I don't even really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the other thing, and you might have a more recent update than I do, but it's also possible we won't know even by Thursday when you're listening to this is Noah Fant had missed like three weeks of practice, went completely underreported um, during the offseason. And uh, if he ends up being out for the game, then Albert O is just 2,500 and he's been the de facto tight end one for them. So I think he would be the other guy that we to keep an eye on, depending on how the news shakes out throughout the course of this week. Yeah, I didn't know that Noah Fant was injured until I was Googling around for Albert Okui Boonham updates. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, it is it is just one it is just uh, it is just one of those things where yeah, if, if an NFL injury was not reported, we have no way of knowing about it. Uh, another pretty terrible game, to be honest. The Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. The Dolphins are road dogs at New England. I mean, again, two at fifty four hundred. Like this could like the 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 dolphins could just come out and he could just look amazing right like that that's that is in the range of outcomes bunch of short throws now they don't have fuller in this game which is bad for them right fuller is their best wide receiver he's going to be filled in by probably a combination of preston williams albert wilson mac collins i guess the one guy i wanted to note for the dolphins is we are lower on jalen waddle than i want to be like i would like to give him more of the market share but it's just hard to do in week one but i i just have a feeling that he is going to be very like rookie year will fuller-esque actually like i just i think he is very good yeah yeah i mean i, th- I think that's fair that like draft capital is obviously there um college production is obviously there it's it's really tough to do it's especially tough to do against the patriots defense and so i think all of that will keep me from doing it but I'd say that the caveat there is one of the decisions people are going to be making when setting their lineups this week is whether or not to play chalk wide receiver punts. Marquez Callaway is one of those options. Marvin Jones is the other based on late swap equity. I think it's pretty clear that Marquez Callaway is the preferred punt option could be a 20 to 25% target share guy for the saints. 
also gives you the late swap flexibility. So if you're looking to make up ground and you have Callaway going late, you can swap to a guy like Waddle or another option on the Saints. Um, and if you have the best lineup, you can look to pivot your other contrarian wide receiver plays onto Callaway. And so I think that's one of the kind of mini games within the DFS main slate this week. All right, you got to get you got to get your hand in the dirt with the Patriots and tell me how many rushing touchdowns Damian's uh, Damian Harris scores this week. I mean, the Patriots only going to score two touchdowns, right? So uh, maybe maybe three. They run run hot on the touchdown variants. Um, it feels like Harris is a pretty good bet to score a, a touchdown, but uh, I don't think you can count on too much more than that. I think he will have the goal line role uh, at least you know 70 percent of the time. You know, Ramondre may get some of that over time, but I think to start the season, it'll be Damian Harris who gets it. But they're still going to mix in these other guys and they're going to throw the ball a little bit more than they would have otherwise. So I think he, he, you know, his, I guess, losing Sony in the backfield helps him for sure. Shifting from Cam to Mac, I think gives him some more goal line work. But and Ramondre just hurt his hand. Ramondre might be, Ramondre might be not playing in week one. Well, there you go. So, so I guess, but you could, you could throw JJ Taylor in there. JJ Taylor would be in there. But yeah, I mean, I I think he's going to get the goal line work 5,200 pretty nice price, but he's not going to be a big pass catching option. We don't think so. You kind of have to crack the hundred yard bonus at that point. I was, I was really hoping to see like 3,400 Johnny Smith and be like, all right, that dude's going to catch two touchdowns or whatever, but he is priced at 4,100. Uh, Hunter Henry is priced at 4,700. Like just, I was hoping one of those guys would be playable, but I just, yeah. I don't, I don't really could, see it. Could you, so Mac Jones is 4,400. They've got a 24 point team total. Could you skinny stack Mac Jones? Like a, I was like thinking a tight end or just playing naked. I was thinking the the people who would want to play Mac Jones would be the cash game grinders and just hope yeah. that he gets 15. But I think Teddy is the better version of that. I think Teddy is the better sub 5K quarterback. Okay. Yeah. And I like I, I skinny stacking wise, $4,800 Teddy Bridgewater, $4,700 Jerry Judy feels better than $4,400 Mac Jones and $4,100 Johnny Smith, I think. Yeah, it's just the positional uh, impact of eating up a wide receiver spot is so much more valuable than eating up tight end. Yep. All right. Final game in a dome, the Green Bay Packers, uh, big, relatively big road favorites at the New Orleans Saints. Our first game with Jameis as a starting quarterback underneath Sean Payton. Uh, you pretty much know the deal with the Packers. It's going to be Devontae Adams. It's going to be Aaron Jones. Uh, maybe Tunyon catches a touchdown. Maybe MVS catches a long touchdown. Uh, real sick in the head people might want to play Randall Cobb. Certainly, certainly would not be me. Um, I don't have anything interesting to say about the Packers. They are the most straightforward team in DFS, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I think if you do go down the path of rostering Aaron Rodgers, you should probably double stack him because if all the production goes to Adams, the chances are there's another comfortable game that's going off where you can get more utility out of a quarterback game stack there. So Rogers definitely a double stack QB for me throughout the course of the season. Prefer MVS over Randall Cobb. If I was going down that path for the saints, I think Alvin Kamara, you know, we, without Michael Thomas last year, he was a 30% of targets guy. He's definitely going to lose some of the rushing work, but seems like Sean Payton will definitely continue to keep him involved. He's one of our top running back plays in the week. I mean, I, I was trying to move his projection 35 down. point ceiling and you're like trying to take it away, but it's hard to. Yeah, I mean, like to to get Alvin Kamara's projection in line with where other projection sites have him, I had to give Taysom more carries than I actually think he's going to get. 
And I had to make Tony Jones like a real part of the offense, which just feels insane. And I think he will be like, I I think Tony Jones will play a similar role to Latavius Murray, um, who I know we've got to remove from the projections, but no, I I I just did it. He's gone. So I, I think he'll play like a reasonable role in the, in the offense, but I don't know. What do you think about Jameis? And do you think Jameis double stack with Kamara and Callaway? I think that the people have been sleeping on Jameis. And I think that Jameis at, uh, you know, 2% ownership. I mean, like literally we've seen this guy have a five touchdown game where three of them went to Brashad Perryman. One of them went to Cam Brate and one of them went to, uh, it was that week 13 game where he went completely nuts when, when um, Mike Evans was out injured, like, I, I, I just, I think Jameis can go nuts here. I mean, they get down 10 zero really early on Jameis throws like an awful interception and Sean Payton just has no chance or, or no choice, but to, to lob it over to him. And then the thing that is m- most interesting to me about Jameis is that unlike stacking some of these other quarterbacks with expensive wide receivers, Callaway is 3,400 Traquan Smith is 4,900 and we are waiting to hear like, cause we, we Troutman is, is not confirmed to be active in week one. So Juwan Johnson, I know he's like a tight end and, and Deonta Harris also might be suspended for this game. So like you might have like a three K guy that you can put in there with him, which feels uh, insane. Like it feels like having multiple three K guys to choose from with Jameis feels like an edge spot. Yeah, definitely. And I think Jameis, like, even though Marquez Callaway is going to be popular, I think Jameis himself won't be and does feel like a higher upside stack than going with like Mac Jones. I also think we touched on it, but Marquez Callaway, pivotal, pivotal late swap decision. If you're building through a chalk value wide receiver in week one, it's better to build through Callaway than Jones, in my opinion, because you'll have more information. You can late swap strategically if you need to, or leave him in there on your best lineups. But I mean, he, he went off like 80 yards a game in the preseason, two touchdowns in the first half with Jameis and their, their tune up for the regular season. So uh, I think he is a really high upside play, but a guy that the field will probably be pretty heavily on this week. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the nut correlation is Jameis over Rogers because that will be, you know, uh, Adams or yeah. Jameis over Rogers, Adams bring back Traquan over, Marquez Callaway and you just hope to run pure and like that that's like the I don't know if I have the stones to do that myself in a single entry or three max but from um like a game tree perspective you're going to be in a part of the game tree that is not intersecting with very many of your opponents yeah yeah I think that makes sense are you approaching week one differently than you would if it was week nine I know we're obviously always considering simulations, projected ownership and the ceiling projections that we offer daily roto, but there is more variance in week one. We feel worse about some projection inputs than we do others. Um, how are you handling week one versus like how you would week nine? Uh, I will be playing the projections less straight up for sure. Like I will be like Rondale, Jalen Waddle, uh, Terrace Marshall, you know, some of these rookie wide receivers who Price, whose prices I think have the ability to adjust upward in a big way. Um, and I will, I will be making a more conscious effort to not play fragilist shock, like Marvin Jones being a great example of like, I get why Marvin Jones is projected the way he is, but you know, LaVisca Schnold is like, or, or shark is just such good leverage on him. So I, I'm, I'm more comfortable playing 
like weird plays this week than I would be in a normal week. Like I might be terrified to fade a $3,600 chalk wide receiver in week nine. Cause we have so much information on why that guy is chalky. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So everyone, uh, that is the free preview show. Uh, we'll have much more in-depth content about the projections, how the projections are working, some of the inputs, uh, what projections we view as most fragile and all of that stuff over on dailyroto.com on Friday. We are of course presented by underdog fantasy. If you haven't yet go download the app and, uh, use the promo code grid, get a free 10 buck game in their pick'em contest. And we will be back tomorrow. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.